Hello, and welcome back to the Sidekick Critic Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby, and I'm delighted to be here with you for another edition, episode 21 of this film and entertainment industry podcast. This is actually the first time I'm recording an episode in nearly three weeks. My last episode was my 20th episode where I gave four top five lists to do 20 movies for 20 episodes. I had a blast with that. It was nice for myself to kind of take some introspection and look inwards at what I think about movies and why certain movies mean so much to me. And I had a lot of fun making that episode and revisiting old movies to make it, thinking about them, reading about them. Highly recommend if for some reason you're just jumping in on episode 21, listen to episode 20. It gives a great background on who I am as a movie viewer. But like I said, it's been three weeks because I pre-recorded that episode before my work trip and I was gone for a week and like I had suspected, I did not have time while away to edit and upload episode 20. So there was a week break and then last Thursday, the 31st, episode 20 dropped. So here I am, Wednesday the 6th, recording a new episode for episode 21 of the Sidekick Critic podcast. As always, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Sidekick Critic. Follow me on Letterboxd. It's we're going to be able to be ready to see what I may talk about next. It's where I rate and review all of the movies I watch. I log every single one. It's I'm always going to do a mini letterbox plug. Maybe they'll hear it and appreciate it. Maybe they won't. But for me, I love the app. I spend a lot of time on there. It's my go-to now whenever I'm looking up anything movie-related. Speaking of movies, uh, we all know I'm someone that likes following the box office for movies. And for weeks I've been talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer. I've been talking about the strike delays. But as someone who is following all this, there's really only one piece of news in the past week that has uh, caught my attention as major news. And that was last Thursday, the 31st, AMC and Taylor Swift announced the upcoming Taylor Swift, the Eras Tour concert film. It's a two-hour and 50-minute concert film. It's being released in theaters on October 13th. This is exciting. For someone like me that is a fan of Taylor Swift, I am very excited for it. But this is also a really exciting thing for movies. This deal was brokered between the Swift family and AMC directly. AMC has distribution rights for this movie in North America on the whole. They have promised her at least four showtimes a day on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday at every single AMC theater. They're already working with Regal, Cinemark, and smaller movie chains to make sure this movie gets on as many screens as possible. It is guaranteed at least four weeks in theaters, with a max of 26 weeks. So that's a very large window in what, how long this could possibly be in theaters for. Um, after 13 weeks, the Swift family is able to upload the movie to streaming services if they should choose. Right now, there is no, there are still talks for which streaming service it is. It seems like this may have just been a PR piece, but a story I saw stated that the Swift family did not want to essentially scab against the Writers and Actors Union. So they worked with them to make sure the distribution agreement they put in place with AMC would not go against the strike or any struck companies or contracts in any way. They made sure everything was above board and essentially sidestepped the studios entirely. Typically a concert film like this is the rights to it are purchased by a studio so they can collect some box office while paying the artist or owner of it a fee. 
That's not the case here. Swift and AMC work together. The deal was negotiated by the Swift family and the AMC CEO to cut major studios out entirely. It's not often that you see someone like AMC, a theater chain, becoming a distributor for a movie, but for this, they are. And that's massive. And they had to do a lot to, I believe they had to do a lot to convince the Swift family that they were the right ones to do it. As many people probably remember, when the Aeros Tour tickets first went on sale, Ticketmaster's servers could not handle it. They couldn't handle people registering for the pre-sale. The actual pre-sale started and it was an absolute disaster. There was Their servers just could not do what they needed to. And it has resulted in congressional hearings as a result because of how poorly they handled this and how the mass populace realized how terrible their monopoly is. With that in mind, AMC increased their servers to be able to handle an influx of ticket buyers by uh, over five times the capacity so that there would not be issues with their site. Uh, As someone that has used AMC for Marvel pre-sales, Star Wars pre-sales, and countless other big movies and been excited for when tickets first go on sale, I can tell you that traditionally AMC's website has not handled it well. I would crash, I would time out, just would not do what it needed to. That was not the case here. With the increased servers, they suspended all AMC stubs rewards temporarily, meaning I could not use my A-list for this. People could not buy tickets. They were saying, if you're looking for other movie tickets, come back later or buy them at the theater. And it really allowed for a much smoother experience. I was online pretty quick once they were announced to get them for my group of people and it was maybe seven minutes waiting in the queue, then in, see the tickets, buy them, all smooth with no issues. So props to AMC for claiming they could handle it like Ticketmaster did, but actually putting in the work to make sure they could handle it and doing what needed to be done. That includes hard decisions like temporary disabling the use of other AMC stubs rewards. That's a tough decision when your business heavily relies on people using those rewards and people being incentivized to use them, but with what the Eras Tour film was going to do, it's no surprise that they put that as their priority. Speaking of what this film is going to do, it has been the talk of the town box office-wise for the last week or so. In, it's been a week now that tickets have been on pre-sale. It has already done over $26 million in pre-sale. AMC has said that is their largest pre-sale ever. It has beat Spider-Man No Way Home. Fandango reported that it is without a doubt the largest pre-sale of 2023 and all time it ranks amongst the likes of Avengers Endgame, Star Wars The Force Awakens, which is a pretty incredible feat when you think about it to be able to garner that much interest. The Swift fandom is going to propel this thing to do massive numbers. I could see it easily reaching 100 million, possibly as high as 150 million, if not more. It's only a North America release initially. It could, it likely will be a global release once she has finished her international legs of her tour. But it wouldn't be surprising to me to see this do $150 million domestically at the box office, which is unheard of for a concert film like this. And it's already having an effect on the movie industry at large, where multiple movies have been delayed or pushed earlier as a result of this. The Exorcist Believer moved from the 13th to a week earlier on October 6th. Ordinary Angels announced they're changing the release date because of Taylor Swift to TBD. They haven't said when yet. And What Happens Later moved almost a month back to November 3rd. That's really opening up 
the possibility for the Aeros Tour to make a lot of money. There's really only two movies of competition within the span of a month. Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Martin Scorsese pick starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone, comes out on October 20th. That movie is sounds like it's going to be a massive critical success. It is already getting tons of Oscar buzz. We'll see how well it actually does at the box office, as sometimes movies like those don't translate to massive, massive financial success. But it's going to be a success regardless. And then a month after the Eras tour, you have The Marvels coming out on November 10th. So that's almost four weekends where the biggest common draw for a movie is going to be Taylor Swift. And it's going to be incredible to see what this does. The movie's going to have higher watchability as her fans have watched the concert on TikTok countless times. They Many of them went to multiple concerts. They've rewatched her old concert films multiple times. And there's those who saw the concert and now want to see the movie. There's those who didn't see the concert and feel the need to see the movie. There's those who will just need to see what all the hype is about. Was the concert really that good? Instead of paying 150 bucks to get into the show, I'm going to pay $20 to watch it in theaters. So this is, like I said, the biggest news in the box office side of the industry of the past week, and I'm very excited to see what it does. This is going to be the last time to talk about it until it comes out. Rest assured, I will talk about it. This is two of my interests uh, aligning here for once, which is really exciting for me. I was lucky enough to go see the Eras Tour, and it was the best concert I've ever, I've ever seen. I cannot wait to go watch the movie. I may see it a second time if I have people that want to see it a second time because I know it's going to be fun. The Eras Tour, big news, biggest news in the box office. But this is a not just an industry podcast, it's a film podcast, and I have a lot of movies to talk about today. I have six movies from three different directors. So two movies for each director. It kind of just worked out. What I've watched lately has been similar directors lining up, which I really enjoy. So the first movies I want to talk about today are from director Guy Ritchie. I saw one of his newest release earlier this year, which was The Covenant, and I really enjoyed that movie. So I've been looking more into the Guy Ritchie movies to see what I have seen, what I haven't seen. And I watched a couple of them in the past two weeks or so. So first... Here's my review for Wrath of Man. With all of his movies, I continuously realize Guy Ritchie really knows how to make a fun and enjoyable action movie. He has a unique style of filming that I think does very well with action sequences and adds to them quite a bit. I've seen now five or six of his movies, and I've thoroughly enjoyed each one. Some you may know are he did the two Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. He did The Gentleman Covenant, Wrath of Man, King Arthur, as well as Aladdin. So he has a very wide spectrum of movies. He has a very interesting style that sometimes I find it hard to really quantify what that style is, but if you watch a Guy Ritchie movie, you'll pick up on it. For Wrath of Man specifically, the movie has a slight air of mystery behind a ton of action that was able to really keep me intrigued and keep me enjoying the movie and invest in what was happening. It uses a nonlinear storyline, which I am a big fan of when it comes to movies because it keeps me more intrigued as I'm learning why we are in certain places at certain times and the backstory behind things or jumping ahead. I'm a fan of that as a plot device personally, so The Wrath of Man kind of got a bump up on that for me. Um, Most specifically, what really blew me away in Wrath of Man was the score. Uh, It was composed by Christopher Benstead and it 
has it's the score reminds me a lot of Sicario, which I've talked about recently in the way that it really set the tone and it kept your heartbeat going and it kept you invested in the movie and building the suspense and having the movie match your energy or vice versa while you're watching it, which was very nice. I don't really have a ton to say about the movie. It's not very deep. It's an easy action movie. It's 119 minutes long. So two hours, call it that. And it's excellently well-paced. Something I've really noticed with Guy Ritchie movies is he's very, very good at pacing. It makes the movie move along at a great speed that you don't get bored of it at all. You don't feel the need to pause it or anything. It's able to keep things moving and keep you interested, which is a fantastic quality for a filmmaker to have. So hats off to the editors on this movie as well, as they are a massive part of making sure that pace feels appropriate. Overall, Wrath of Man gets a 6.6 out of 10 for me. The movie came out in 2021, so it's one of those COVID movies that not a lot of people heard about. I had a blast with it. 6.6 out of 10, I think, is an ideal action movie score. I'm not looking for action movies to blow me away. I'm not looking for them to be the best movie I've seen. I'm just looking to have a good time, and that's exactly what happened with Wrath of Man. All right. My next movie, another Guy Ritchie movie. Here's my review for King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Like I said, my second Guy Ritchie movie this week, I thought I wasn't going to like it. I only heard bad things about this movie. It came out back in 2017, but I liked it a lot more than I thought it would. It's a fantasy action movie, essentially. Uh, it stars Charlie Hunnam and Jude Law. The two of them are great in this movie. They portray their characters really well, especially during the aspects that are less fantasy-based and more medieval-based. And when thinking about that, I think the fantasy aspects of this are kind of where the movie loses me at times. I was very much enjoying the medieval aspect. I was enjoying seeing this grittier, down-to-earth life of ancient England with a King Arthur before he was king. It had some classic Guy Ritchie scenes of uh, fast-talking, quick cuts here and there to explain how he got to a situation and things along those lines, which... He was all doing very well, but then when you bring in the magic, you bring in the fantasy, these supernatural elements, it kind of took me out of time. The movie at times, it was less interesting than the rest of the movie to me. I think if you've seen Outlaw King with Chris Pine or The King with Timothy Chalamet, a couple of very gritty movies, uh, very real, medieval, I think King Arthur could have done better if it was closer to those, but of course with The Legend of the Sword, there's always going to be... Merlin with the origin, the Lady of the Lake, you're going to have to have some level of supernatural fantasy. I think the movie would have done a lot better if it leaned away from the fantasy, so to say. It's a version of the movie I wish I could see. At last, I never will. But overall, the movie did look great as well. It was, it felt medieval. I really enjoyed it. I once again, I loved Charlie Hunnam. I was a huge fan of Sons of Anarchy back in the day, so I have a soft spot for him. Jude Law, outside of the his magic obsession, his villain, King Vortigan, was great. I He was menacing. I love Jude Law as a villain. He's always just really does it for me. Another Guy Ritchie movie, another movie with great pacing. I cannot say it enough. All of his movies move along at the speed I want them to move along at. Of course, King Arthur, you know the sword is getting pulled out of the stone. 30 minutes into the movie, the sword is pulled out of the stone. It really says, we know you're here to see this. We're going to give this to you. Hopefully, we've done enough to convince you to watch the rest. And for me, it did. I 
there were aspects of it I didn't think I liked at first that by the end I enjoyed. The score is one of those. I wasn't a huge fan early on, but in the second act, there's this chase scene. And once again, I was listening as watching this movie and I was like, oh, the score is a strong point. He's really good at keeping each element of the movie, the editing, the cinematography, the acting, the score, giving them their time to shine, their moments, but also blending them together in a way that makes for a fun movie. Overall, this is on the upper echelon of the, I think, six Guy Ritchie movies I've seen now. I was a fan of it overall, but I'm someone that will always be a fan of fantasy action movies. That's not going to be for everyone. The fantasy aspect especially is going to lose a lot of people, but I enjoyed it. If you're someone that likes fantasy action even the least bit, I think you will enjoy this. I think you can look past the bad reviews, the low financial success, and say, you know what, this movie actually is enjoyable. You give it the shot it deserves. For me, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, 6.8 out of 10, it surprised me. I think this rating's higher than it might have been because I was expecting it to be so bad, always coming back to those expectations going into a movie. But I did like it. If you're a fan of this genre, I think it's 100% worth the watch. Okay, so my next two movies are two Netflix films from director Sam Hargrave. It's the Extraction movies, Extraction 1, Extraction 2. So let's start. Here's my review for Extraction. This movie came out in 2020. Another one of those COVID movies, and it's it's decent. I obviously being a Marvel fanboy, I love Chris Hemsworth, and he's always a delight to see on screen. So that's why I gave this movie a shot. I'd heard about Extraction too. I was like, why not give the first one a shot? See if the second one was worth watching. And there were parts of this I enjoyed. I'm a typical male. I love an action movie. I'm always going to enjoy it. This movie is very much a stereotypical action movie it doesn't have much going for it in terms of the plot to really keep it intriguing it's just a bunch of action scenes as a typical soldier tough guy fights through an endless stream of no-name bad guys trying desperately to rescue a kid that he doesn't really know that's stereotypical as can be um the movie doesn't really have Good sound mixing at times. If you are going to watch this, I would say keep the remote nearby because you're constantly going to have to change the volume, turn it up for the dialogue, turn it down for the action. So those are kind of the uh, detriments to this movie. That said, Sam Hargrave did put together some good action shots. Uh, The gunfights felt real enough. They felt intense enough. Uh, Chris Hemsworth got as down and dirty as he needed to. But it all kind of lacks some real oomph or suspense to it. So Extraction, on the lower end in terms of what I want from an action movie, I think just the charisma of Chris Hemsworth bumps this movie quite up quite a bit. He's really the only character in this movie. It felt like everyone else was just kind of there, thrown in, forgotten about. I would have liked to see more character development. But Extraction, 6.1 out of 10. I would probably pass on this. Okay, Extraction 2. Here's my review. A little bit of a different story from the first one, as I actually enjoyed this a lot more. The story took a much bigger role in this movie. It gave attention and time to side characters and to plots, and it built an antagonist that you would actually want to root against and understand their motivations. The sound mixing is way better. I was not having to mess with the volume constantly for it. 
the action in this one becomes a bit more ridiculous and less realistic as Hemsworth's character, Tyler Rake, morphs more into an action hero than just an action tough guy. That's fine. I think a lot of action movies, especially as you get into sequels, tend to go that way. Look at John Wick, look at Jason Bourne, Mission Impossible. All of them become a little superhero-esque. Superhero-esque. I don't Interesting word I made up there, but they all become that later in their lives. It felt a little soon for Extraction to do that, but that said, the second movie is much better. Um, We'll talk about the sound mix being better, more of a story. For this movie, for Extraction 2, I think from a writing perspective, it's still the weakest part of these movies, but it's such a drastic improvement that it has me excited for the potential third movie they're going to do. Director Sam Hargrave clearly has the talent to be a great director and he continues to improve with both of these movies so like i said i'm looking forward to the possible third and to seeing his relationship with chris hemsworth evolve and what else they can bring out of the tyler rate character extraction 2 7.3 out of 10 brings my total on extraction 1 and 2 to 6.6 out of 10 on average they're decent action movies if you're someone like me if you're an action guy you'll be able to throw these on and shut up for two hours which sometimes that's all i want out of a movie i don't want to think about it i'm not asking for a lot i just want something on to distract me from life and to just watch people shoot at each other for a little bit it's not going to be a movie i ever rewatch. it's not going to be a movie i remember or talk about again or really relate back to unless i'm hargrave does Extraction 3, and I feel the need to tie them back together, but these movies aren't going to be for everyone. I'm someone that loves an action movie. You may be someone who doesn't love an action movie, or King Arthur, you don't love a fantasy action movie, and that is totally justifiable. It's watch the movies you want to watch. I am trying to be more intentional about the movies I watch. So I watched two extraction movies back to back after I watched the first one some time ago because I was like, you know what? It'd be nice to talk about two movies of the same ilk in one podcast. Extraction 2 is actually pretty recent too. It came out June 9th. So while it's not technically a new movie, I'm counting it as one for the sake of this podcast because I forgot it released. I had missed it as I'm constantly at the theater. So with theaters slowing down a bit, I was able to get on Netflix, catch up on a movie I missed, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Okay, so only two more movies to talk about today. Both of these are from director Emma Seligman. One of them is a currently in theaters release, so that's my big new movie in theaters, my review for it today. But first, let's start with her directorial debut from 2020. It's Shiva Baby. Uh, like I said, the first feature film from director Emma Seligman the movie is so uncomfortably funny. It stars Rachel Sennett and Molly Gordon. Rachel Sennett is our protagonist. She is a college-age girl returning to family and friends for a shiva, which I believe is a Jewish post-funeral event. And at this event, uh, her parents are being annoying to all these nosy and in-her-face family and friends. And her sugar daddy shows up as well as her ex-girlfriend. So it becomes a whole thing the movie is so uncomfortably funny it's a weird genre crossing moment between comedy without a doubt but also kind of suspense thriller as danielle's life fully begins to unravel at the shiva 
I was a little confused by the name Shiva Baby. And in hindsight, looking back at the movie, I should have picked up on much sooner why it was named what it was. But let me tell you, when that movie ended and the title appeared before the credits and big lettering, just Shiva Baby, I went, oh, because it all clicked and it just tied it together perfectly. I, I had a lot of fun with this. Rachel Sennett and Molly Gordon, like I mentioned, were great in this movie. I Two actresses that the more I see them, the more I love what they're doing and their work they're putting together. This movie is for sure on the weirder side. It's very small scaled. I think there's only two sets in the entire movie. So it takes place in one location for 10 minutes and then finishes out at the Shiva for the next 60 minutes. The movie is only 80-ish minutes long, so it's a quick watch. It's easy, but it's not going to be for everyone because it is kind of weird and small scaled. For someone like me that's trying to be intentional with watching my movies, and I'll explain in a little bit how I came across it, I'm going to watch it. For you, I would say, unless you're deep in your movie bag, you're scrolling through Netflix, HBO, you can't find anything you want to watch, nothing sounds good, this is actually a good option. Expand your movie horizons a bit, see if you like something like this, if you like a smaller scale movie. I happen to really like it. I enjoyed it. Uh, My fiance enjoyed it. Both of us were kind of left with a what feeling, but not in a bad way, in a good way. So Shiva Baby, Emma Seligman's directorial debut, 7.1 out of 10. A very strong start from Emma Seligman. And I saw another one of her movies, like I said. So here's my review for Bottoms. Recently out in theaters, once again from director Emma Seligman, Bottoms is the most unhinged movie I've seen this year. It's a high school comedy about two girls that start a fight club as a way to hook up with cheerleaders. It's about as absurd a premise for a movie as you can expect, and it quickly establishes establishes itself in this quirky and strange alternate reality that is almost without consequences. And I don't mean that in a major dramatic way. I just mean it. These, a lot of these characters are shitty and do shitty things, and nothing comes of it. And that's what the movie sets it up itself up as. And that's really what made the movie work for me. It's it knows what it is and what it is trying to do, and it stayed firmly within those bounds that was just in a very perfect way that really made me appreciate how it had done it and the fact that not every movie is able to do this. Sometimes they go outside of the realm of possibility and expectation, even for being a movie, which at times can be frustrating. I think a lot of people have experienced that with the ongoing Fast Saga and how started as a car movie, and now it's action superheroes, essentially. Bottom stays firmly where it's planted. Like I said, uh, directed by Emma Seligman. She was also a writer on the movie. She co-wrote with Rachel Sennett. I just talked about her in Shiva Baby. She starred in the movie and co-wrote on it, and then it also starred Ao Adebiri, who I've talked about before from Theater Camp and uh, The Bear. The three of them, Seligman, Senate, and Ayo Edebiri, are 28, 27, and 27, respectively. I love young people making movies. It makes me happy. It's a style movie we're not used to seeing, I'm not used to seeing, that I really enjoyed. All three of them are going to be on my watch list as it's just been a really fun time to see their careers grow. Ayo Edebiri continues to kill it on the screen and everything she's in. She's so enjoyable and quickly becoming one of my favorite actresses. Having seen both of Seligman's feature films, 
I'm going to continue looking out for her because I've enjoyed both of them. I thought it'd been a great time. This movie kind of completes this weird little foursome of uh, uh, movie stars and writers, directors I've been watching lately of Emma Seligman did Shiva Baby and Bottoms. Same with Rachel Sennett. Then you have Molly Gordon who wrote and directed Theater Camp, starred in Shiva Baby, starred in Theater Camp, and then Ayo Adabiri, who of course was in Bottoms and Theater Camp. So this whole little weird interconnection of these young people I'm loving. It feels like a new generation of filmmaking rising up through the ranks and making what is, in my opinion, promising quality content that I want to see more of, and I'm excited to see what they could do next as their style improves and their skill improves throughout their careers. The score for this movie, uh, it's the first film credit for film score credit for Charlie XCX, a musician you may recognize. She worked with Leo, Leo Bierenberg on this movie, and I thought they did a great job. The soundtrack is a lot of fun. There's especially one moment, a very cliche movie scene of the protagonist downfall when they're at their lowest, when things aren't going right. And we get a hard needle drop into Avril Lavigne's It's Complicated. I had a blast with that. Marshawn Lynch stars, stars in the movie in a supporting role, and he's surprisingly great in it. So way better role for him than what we saw in Westworld season four, season three, whichever season of Westworld that was. And I really enjoyed him. It's If he does more roles like this, more comedic, sidekick role so to say i think he could carve out a nice little niche for himself in the movie industry which is great the movie is very dirty and dark with its sense of humor that's not your cup of tea i would stay away it's not one i would go watch with your parents i'm going to try to mention movies watching with your parents my friend anastasia told me that i didn't mention that for joyride and there's one specific scene that Anyone that watches it with their parents will get very uncomfortable, so I'll try to include that. Nothing against parents, just a matter of certain scenes you don't want to watch with them, which I think is understandable. Back to Bottoms. The movie is very dark sense of humor, so it's not for everyone, but if you're willing to give dark humor a shot, and Bottoms is incredible. I think it's going to be mentioned along the likes of Superbad in Years, where it's one of those iconic high school comedies that people were turned to time and time again. I know I'll watch this again in maybe a year or two when I want a good laugh because it is so absurd and ridiculous and a fun time. I highly recommend. I think this is a great in-theaters comedy movie. It's a blast. It's, in terms of pure comedy, excluding Barbie, it's probably funnier than No Hard Feelings or Joyride, I would say. Uh, it's constant laughs and so many little jokes here and there that are, if you pick up on them, I know I missed some, but I picked up on others that I thoroughly enjoyed. Bottoms is getting a 7.9 out of 10. I had a blast. You should go watch this in theaters as there's not a lot of movies out right now. And that's my last movie for today. Six movies, three directors, Guy Ritchie, Sam Hargrave, and Emma Seligman. Uh, I had talked about and mentioned that I mentioned again, being more intentional with my movie watching. I think I've always been one of those people where I just flip through HBO, Netflix, recommended, top 10 lists, whatever it is, my list, to eventually find a movie that I'm finally like, okay, I'll watch this, I guess. I've been more intentional with that lately. I have been trying to pay attention to directors, composers, cinematographers, whoever it may be, and actually watch their movie with a level of intention. 
well, that's been working out well for me. With I saw Bottoms in theater. I'd seen a trailer for it. It looked very funny. The premise had me excited as I thought it'd be funny. After really enjoying that, I looked into Emma Seligman. I listened to an interview featuring her, and I heard about Shiva Baby, and I'm like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Let's see what her style is. Guy Ritchie, I've been slowly watching more of his movies. I'm up to five or six of them now, when a few months ago is two or three. So it's nice to be intentional with the movies I'm watching and to try and add a little theme to my episodes. That's not going to be the case next week. Next week is, I believe, going to be an only new movies episode where I have three in-theater movies, one Netflix release from the past couple months that I was finally able to catch up on. Those are Haunted Mansion, Murder Mystery 2, Grand Turismo, and Blue Beetle. I'm excited to talk about all of those. I love talking about new movies. It'll probably just be a four-movie episode. Maybe I'll give you a strike update, depending on if things have changed in that time. But nothing much has changed. It sounds like the sides still aren't talking and are still doing typical labor negotiation tactics. It's kind of a slow time at theaters. Some things are getting delayed. This is always typically a slow window. It's festival season. So maybe I'll talk about what I heard from... Venice and Telluride Film Festivals, as those both went on this past week. Regardless, I'm still very invested in the movie industry. I'll continue to go to movies and telling you which new movies you should watch in theaters or shouldn't watch. Continue watching movies at home and expanding my film knowledge. I'm having a blast with it. The intentional movie watching is a lot of fun. So if you have any movie recommendations or some kind of intention I can look for in film, let me know because I fully welcome that. And that's pretty much all I have for this episode. Thank you for coming by. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on TikTok. Follow me on Letterboxd at Sidekick Critic. This has been the Sidekick Critic Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby, and I will see you next time. <laughs>